This is an excellent rally for the Cannonball. Oh, wow. Welcome to the Two Doc Chronicles, your one solution to all things squash. I'm Bruce Huberman with co-host Miles McIntyre, here to reveal a game with stories worth listening to. I'd like to welcome everyone to the Two Doc Chronicles podcast. This is our eighth episode. Incredible. It's entitled Referees, Building Alliances Behind the Glass. Yeah, and you know, Bruce, I think that title is just key to what we're trying to talk about today. You know, we've got a game here that has such a unique aspect of a referee where, you know, uh, matches can be made simply on a decision, which, you know, needs to be the right decision. It, it can't be a, an unfair decision or an unjust decision, but that's exactly what we're here to talk about today. So I'm super excited to have these guests on the show. Yeah. I mean, it, it's true. And, and, you know, you do not really, you know, get to hear a lot about refereeing. It's like sort of kept on the back table and it's really not at, at the forefront. You know, everyone, you know, concerned about the players, the coaches right. and the referees are really our, our vital cog in, in this sport. So we're super excited to really go through the whole process of refereeing. And I think our panel today is second to none. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I agree. We've got Hope Proc up, a referee, from where I'm from, we've got Tamar Alginari, a wonderful referee who I've seen in the stands over the years, you know, ranging from refereeing at the college level all the way up to the pro level where he is now. And uh, finally, Peter Blatchford, who's a father of a squash player that I've played against many a time. In fact, will be refereeing me at the next college squash match. So let's welcome these guys on. Hi, my name is Tamar Alnagari. A U.S. squash level five and PSA referee officiating at club, junior, senior, collegiate, and professional levels. Hi, I'm Hope Prokop. I am a U.S. squash level four referee, a coach, player, and a passionate squash person, and I'm delighted to be here. Hi, my name is Peter Blashford. Been playing a little over 30 years. Recently, part-time squash parent, part-time squash coach now, and part-time squash referee. Welcome, everyone, to episode number eight of the Two Doc Chronicles podcast. The first segment we usually do is it's called Who's Got Game? These are short, you know, one word answers, but you can expound. I mean, we've had others, you know, that go on for a couple of minutes and it's supposed to be a, like a one word <laughs> answer. But we want you to, you know, say what you feel. And uh, and it sometimes leads to some other discussion. So we'll start. The order is going to be hope. Peter and Tamar. Okay. So first question, go to snack while refereeing hope. I, I literally can't live without my kombucha. Um, it's, it's a liquid snack, but it is, um, it is my elixir and it helps bring me to the best Zen space for me to, to do my work. Peter. Cliff builders bar. <laughs> and who makes that? Is that a Cliff? It's Cliff, yeah. yeah. I like those. Uh, which flavor do you like? I like peanut butter and uh, chocolate. Nice. Tamar. 
um, between games, if I'm on a match, just, uh, just water really. Um, but, um, if I'm not on the match, maybe uh, a granola bar or some chocolate, just you know, whatever right. snacks I mean, you, are around at the time. Great. So, so you don't, yeah. you don't want to get too, you know, yeah. sugar loaded yeah. and then you're crashing in the fifth game when you need to be like totally yeah. focused. Not too, not too heavy. Yeah. So all, all right. Hope favorite venue in the U S and abroad to either coach play, or, you know, referee. Sure. So uh, Miles is going to like this because uh, I find the MacArthur Center at UVA the most extraordinary and exquisite place to enjoy all aspects of squash. The energy is good. The courts are amazing. Um, and I love Charlottesville. And then Let's go. Ab abroad, um, I have to say that uh, I was a player in Egypt in 2008 at the Women's World Teams. Um, and it was just so spectacular to be near the pyramids and play squash there. I, I've seen some amazing squash places, but Egypt takes the cake. Peter. I have to finally made it to the Spectre Center recently. And well, I'll tell you, up, up until seeing that, um, the MacArthur Center was the greatest I'd ever seen. I think, I think it's tied, at least tied by the Spectre Center and a little, a little closer to New York. Um, abroad, haven't had a chance to see like the big tournaments in Egypt or, and had the pleasure to travel to many places, was really impressed by Franz Otten in Amsterdam. Uh, but, uh, I'm going with, uh, Abbeydale in Sheffield for the memories. Nice. Nice. Tamar. Uh, I'm going to go with, uh, in the U S, uh, Grand Central Terminal. Um, it was the, uh, tournament of champions was the first, uh, PSA event that I refereed at in the U.S. Um, and of course, you know, um, you know, it's uh, the iconic chandeliers and everything that comes with the Tournament of Champions is just, you know, fantastic. And it's like the event runs like clockwork every year. So that's my favorite venue in the U.S. And most recently, the Arlen Spectre Center, obviously, you know, having refereed the U.S. Open there recently. Um, and abroad, I would have to say the Pyramids of Giza. Um, also not only because of the, um, you know, the spectacular backdrop that it has, you know, having one of the seven wonders of the world in the backdrop, but also because of the sentimental value that it holds, uh, being my first ever PSA event, uh, you know, being uh, selected as a marker, uh, to, to, uh, officiate at the, at the Al Haram international back then. Awesome. I, that's, yeah, it, it, that's incredible. And yeah, and to have your so-called virgin, you know, refereeing experience at Grand Central Station. I mean, that's hard to top. I mean, that's yeah. just an incredible venue. I mean, and it's, as you, as you said, it's iconic. All right, moving on. Hope, favorite pro sport to watch, not including squash? Swimming and diving. Peter. Baseball. Tamar. Basketball. All right. Hope. Favorite movie? My Octopus Teacher. Have you anybody seen it? I have not. Can't say I have. Okay, now I just need to expound here because not only is it filmed in my spirit place, The Cape of Good Hope, uh, it is such an extraordinary, the cinematography is extraordinary. And um, I urge you all to give 90 minutes of your life to this amazing documentary and um and i just i love it great um tamar 
Uh, I don't I don't necessarily have a favorite movie, but one movie that I've seen on many occasions probably would be Braveheart. Um, and another would probably be Shawshank Redemption. That's a, that's a great, I love that. The last one. Yeah. yeah. Peter. Uh, Tamara took my two, my two movies. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's so okay. I'm going wow. to go with my third, which is Unforgiven. But nice. I'm a big movie boss awesome. and I have many favorite movies. Okay. So, Hope. I know you like to travel. So uh, what's a travel destination that you haven't been to that's still on your bucket list? Patagonia. There you go. Peter? Greece. Tamar? Uh, I've always wanted to see the Eiffel Tower in France. There you go. Hope, a must food item on your Thanksgiving table. I can't even believe you're asking me this. <laughs> Squash. <laughs> oh nice <Got> one <laughs> what what type of squash always butternut squash there you go mm -hmm. great peter uh cranberry sauce as my gravy for white meat nice tamar i'm gonna go with dessert uh pumpkin pie all righty hope the most underrated person in the squash world not necessarily a player so I'm going to say it's not that he's underrated because he's actually overrated. But to me, he's the most amazing person in the squash world. And that is Tim Wyant. Nice. Um, Peter. Yeah, uh, that's a good one. Hope uh, this is this is a tough one because there's so many unsung heroes, you know, behind the scenes. And thinking about this question, I I, uh, I thought of this guy, a, a really Sadly, a guy who passed away a few years ago, who was uh, a bit big in uh, squash in Ontario, uh, Mark Sackley, who approached it, reminded me of my old volunteer football coaches growing up in Michigan. And uh, he did a lot for squash in Ontario, is a really great guy. So I figured uh, give him a little shout out here in his memory. That's great. Absolutely. Uh, I had some difficulty thinking about this one, uh, but I'm I'm gonna go with uh, Joe, the volunteer court cleaner at TOC, and because he is so efficient at what he does, he gets on the court, and it's like he's reading the referee's mind. He gets on there, he does it very fast, very quick in what he's doing. It's like he's he knows that as a referee, I want this done as quickly as possible so that we don't delay play any longer that than we need to. So. I'm gonna go with shout him. out to Joe. Shout yeah. out to Love Joe. Love that me, I can't. I can't remember his last name, but you know, I'll. I'll try to. I'll try to find out after the call. Hope. Would you like to expound on that? No, I love Joe. I just want to change my entry. Okay. That's okay. <laughs> Whoa, Tim. This is a first, by the way. Hope. No one has ever changed their answer. <laughs> but you can. Well, I feel like I need to. It's not that I want to change it. I just. Um, Tam and, and Peter just got me thinking that the person, the most under, actually underrated person in the squash world, and he is underrated because probably 200 people know him in the squash world, but he cooked me as a squash enthusiast, and therefore he is the most valuable and underrated person in the squash world. And that's my first squash coach ever, David Bannard, who now lives in Richmond, Virginia, but he taught me, who's my math high school math teacher, and he taught me how to hold a squash racket, and the rest is history. So 
shout out to those very first people. They can make a difference. Wow, that's a, that's a great, Absolutely. that's great. Um, all right, a couple more. New York Knicks, Brooklyn Nets. Hope, I had to ask. Okay, the Nets, duh. <laughs> Peter. Uh, I'm going to go with the Knicks this year. <laughs> uh, this year, <laughs> a true weather fan. I like <laughs> yeah, well, I like Kemba. So nice, Tamer. Uh, currently the Nets, but historically the Knicks. All right, and for for me personally, the Houston Rockets because I I grew up in Houston. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Um, the next question: Red or white wine? Hope. Prosecco. All right, Peter. Uh, red all the way. Tamer? Uh, neither, because I don't drink alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> then it would be a tough question to answer, but uh, that's okay. That's so what right. spirit, what do you like to drink when you're just out for dinner or sparkling uh, water? Uh, well, uh, Hope Hope recently introduced me to the uh, pineapple, uh, what was it, Hope? Um, um, it's pineapple and seltzer. Yes, the pineapple seltzer. So I've been going, I've been, that's been my go-to drink uh, since, the, well, since recently, since the U.S. Open, but I'm going to start using it more from now on. All righty. Last, last, last question. Hope, corn or flour tortilla? Corn. Peter. Corn. Tamar. Corn. Nice. Well, you guys, Good answers. You, you guys survived Who's Got Game, and thank you very much. All right, so. There's a lot to talk about here, stuff that's been, you know, really, I mean, there's a lot of other podcasts out there. There's a lot of, you know, um, blogs, there's, you know, websites. But I think in terms of the referee, who I think is really the un unsung hero um, and a major cog in keeping this game together. So... I'm going to start with Hope. I just want you to give us a little background, how you got into refereeing, why you got into refereeing. And, you know, we'll, we'll just start talking about and, and see where it evolves. And uh, we'll go from there. So Hope, you got it. Thanks. So uh, my journey with refereeing began maybe six or so, six or seven years ago. The pandemic, the year of the pandemic or two years of the pandemic has me a little bit lost on time. Um, but definitely, you know, at least six years ago, obviously I was doing a lot of playing and when you play, then afterwards you ref or you mark depends on, you know, where you finish. But I was doing a lot of that. And I actually took a, I took a coaching U S squash coaching certification course down in New York for a long weekend and, um, really enjoyed it, met some great people. And, you know, one of our sort of modules was about refereeing within the coaching um, program. And, you know, and, and my interest was peaked a little bit. Um, nobody ever really thinks that refereeing is so much of a fun thing to do, but I was really just looking for an additional way to be involved in the sport. And, um, so after I did that coaching certification and which was great, great for my coaching, great for my playing and all, but I, I began to pursue the refereeing route with Rich Wade. And, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of, um, precedent for, for people taking initiative to, you know, go in and join the program. But uh, Rich really sort of said yes when I said, you know, how, how do I do this? Um, and Rich was really at the beginning of my journey um, and supported me and um, 
Tam was obviously there as well. And, um, you know, I just, I got a lot of great feedback and, and I, I could watch squash all day long. I like to be involved with all aspects of squash. And I knew that this was, this was a, an aspect of the game that I felt was not getting enough good attention. Um, and I felt like I could be a part of helping that along and fixing that. So, um, you know, a couple of years in, then I get some other great opportunities to travel and, you know, get to know a whole bunch of these guys that I usually only knew, you know, from afar, you know, from the back of the back of the court. And, um, it's really an amazing community of people, um, I wish there were more women doing it. We're hopeful for that. But, you know, I'm not really thinking about the gender thing so much in it. I just love the fact that this is a team and it's a group of guys that a group of people that are looking to be the best as a group. And um, there's no question. That's it. All right. That's fantastic. Um, Peter, why don't you tell us how, you know, I know you've been a, a squash dad for as long as I can remember. And because you started out a few years with Olivia before um, you know, we got into the game, but so, um, is this a way for you just to give back or is this just a way that you see that, you know, there's flaws in, in, you know, officiating and you want to try to help make it better with your experience. And so how did you get started, Pete? Well, you know, in, in, interestingly, when I first started playing, I like, you know, 1990, I got, uh, I got certified as a referee just to learn the rules. So I, so, so I'm really only just a club level referee, even though I've refereed some pretty, you know, important matches, uh, and, uh, always, you know, toy with the idea of trying to pursue it. I mean, really, I had conversations with Mike Riley. He's like, why aren't you trying to join us? You know, especially now at this stage, you know, I mean, I, I still have a horse in the game, but, uh, which, which could be potentially uh, a conflict, but, but, uh, uh, it's something I still consider, but it's mostly, you know, I, I, you know, you know, would be at tournaments and just be asked to do favors, like say, Hey, Peter, we got a tough one coming up. Will you do this one for us? Um, you know, but they didn't feel like the kids, you know, a sign were going to be up for it or can you watch this? And, uh, you know, definitely watched a lot of squash, you know, feel, you know, of course I'm always confident in my own opinion about everything. Uh, so felt like, you know, Hey, you know, I, I have a good sense and understanding. And uh, so a couple, I guess before COVID, uh, Tim LaSouza called me up and said, hey, you know, we want to put you on our roster for uh, uh, the matches at Yale. And I'm like, I'll do it. And uh, and really enjoyed that. Um, had, had some couple of tough moments, you know, which makes me feel for Hope and Tamar, especially since Sadly, both of them have been on the receiving end for me. And, you know, really just to be around it, see, I mean, you know, see the families and, uh, you know, people are like, oh, what are you doing here? Right. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm here to ref. And, uh, and, 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 and very interested in continuing that and, uh, and, you know, potentially, uh, you know, getting deeper certification and doing bigger events. Nice. Tamar. Um, so my journey started uh, around 96, 97, um, <clears throat> during the uh, whole uh, Ahmed Barada craze in Egypt when, you know, he was playing, you know, final stages of the, the Al-Haram, you know, going up against like world number one, number three, number like top ranked players at the time. Um, 
And so that kind of influenced me to kind of start playing squash at the at the club that I was at, the uh, the Maidi Club, which um, produced a number of top level players at the time, uh, like uh, Shabana, Darwish, Elbaro Lussi, uh, Omnea, uh, and a number of other players. Um, so what initially got me started was. Um, so I, you know, I, I would, I would watch these practice matches that being played at my club on a daily basis, uh, between the top level players, basically in the country. And they, you know, they'd start asking me about decisions as I'm sitting there and just trying to, trying to enjoy the match. Right. <laughs> so they'd start asking me, you know, what do you think of this decision? What do you think of that decision? And one thing led to another and they were like, oh, well, maybe you should start refereeing, right? So, you know, then I started uh, refereeing at the local club tournament and then I started refereeing around Cairo and around uh, Alexandria or whatever. And eventually I was selected to be a marker at the, uh, the Al-Haram International. I believe my first tournament was 1998. I think my first... Uh, PSA event as a marker at the Al-Haram. Um, so initially it, it was just something like, I just wanted to be involved in the sport somehow, like the sport that I fell in love with. I, I just want to be involved somehow so I can watch top level squash being played. Right. Um, but as many things in life, you know, it become, it kind of becomes your craft, right. And you, you try to develop that kind of skill at least for me and for my journey, I tried to develop, to develop that kind of, that skill to kind of, you know, perfect myself in, in that capacity. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, through the years, it became something more than just going to tournaments and watching top level players play squash. Basically it became, you know, a skill that I developed and became, you know, became good at, um, and here we are today. Great. And I'm going to keep you on here for a second, Tamar. Um, why don't you just go through the certification process, you know, for officiating juniors, collegiates, and at the pro level? What is necessary? And how would you go about it if you're, you know, a parent or a former player that's interested in be getting into this realm and, uh, you know, going through and, and getting certified so they can, you know, ref? So for individuals looking to begin their refereeing journey, they can either contact U.S. Squash on the website through the officiating section, or they can approach one of the referees when they see us at the different tournaments throughout the season, and we will put their name forward to U.S. Squash. Now, for the amateur level where uh, players are asked to referee after matches that they just played, uh, there's two levels of referee training that are offered. There's level one training for the entry level referees, and then there's level two for the more advanced players or referees. Now, for those who are interested in going further and becoming a referee at PSA, U.S. National Championships or collegiates, they should contact U.S. Squash and we will work with them to develop their pathway forward. So after the uh, first two levels that I mentioned, there's another three levels of certification. There's level three, which is national grade referee. And then there's level four, which is professional tour referee. And level five, which is world level referee. For a referee to become level three or above, they will need to present evidence of activity, assessments, and development to the director of officials to be reviewed by the end of each season in May. And then each referee will get a yearly review where their grade gets determined for the following season. That's great. So what I would say to uh, 
anybody who is thinking about getting into refereeing, we thank you in advance um, because we need, we definitely need as more squash is being played and more, you know, matches are being recorded. We need um, more people helping continuous play and safe and fair outcomes um, in, in this sport. Um, I think I had a little bit of a surprise um, when I got into refereeing in that. um, And I would say this to most other people, when you get into refereeing, it is not your chance to come in and, lay down the hammer about why you think a decision is one way or another. You're going to actually discover that when you get into refereeing, you're actually joining a team of people who are all going to begin to shape and shift your thoughts about every situation on the court. And so uh, you might become a better player because of the thinking. You might become a better coach because of the range of thinking. Um, but I can promise you that your decision-making is not necessarily going to um, be really simple and straightforward. I mean, the obvious ones are really obvious and we all know those and nobody has to worry about those. But I think that uh, when one engages and invests their time in the refereeing community, um, you'll find an unbelievably supportive group of deep thinkers about ridiculously small things. And, um, and it builds, um, this is, this is the wrong word, but a brotherhood, if you will, um, it, it builds a community of trusted, um, trusted advisors. And I know that, um, you know, my decision-making and my match management has developed over time, but it has developed not because, um, not because I've been able to now deliver the decisions that I have always wanted to make. It's more because I have an unbelievable team of thinkers and experience behind me. Um, and that makes me feel really good getting into the chair. So I guess my, you know, sometimes you think, oh, if I'm going to get into something, I'm going to go in and I'm going to deliver what I know. And that's not really exactly what happens when you join the U.S. Squash Refereeing Program, because you're going to jump in and you might make some simple decisions, but you're going to find this overwhelmingly um, thoughtful and smart community of passionate squash people, because you're not going to do this if you're not passionate about it. Um, And um, what a cool journey to learn about, learn more about this sport when you have, you know, folks like Tam and Mike and Sheldon and Wayne and, you know, John Maz. And I mean, these are just the people that I've had the benefit of of really being, um, becoming better with. Um, but it's, it's amazing. So if if your expectations are, are clear, I would put a caveat to that. You might be pleasantly surprised by what else you learn. Excellent. All right. So, um, I'm going to address this to, uh, Peter and, and probably hope in terms of us squash. Um, I think it's a, I mean, sometimes it goes off without a hitch at, you know, a junior match, but uh, a lot of times there's a lot of difficulty. You got the, the you know, a, a kid on who's not really, you know, maybe behaving properly. You got a parent that's hovering, hovering over, you know, the two refs. So, you know, I know Morgan had to take a couple periodic uh, U.S. squash, uh, you know, exams and uh, to just be current and allow, allow to compete. But I think there has to be a better 
process in educating. Some of these kids are coming in at seven, eight years old. They're not refing U19, but they may either going to ref a U11 match or, you know, and have a marker and um, with them. But they're really, you know, really not equipped. Yet again, it's not, it, the, the matches are a lot different than when the eight year olds are playing and it's a, it's a different sort of game and they're not really paying atten- attention. They may not even really understand what a stroke, a lead, and all this stuff is. But um, how would you, how do you think we could just better you, the, the junior programs with educating, you know, these kids rather than just taking a periodic exam? And so I'm going to leave the floor to you, Peter. I know you're very, you know, had a lot of experience with Ian, Georgia, Olivia going through the juniors and probably learned a lot. So I'm just interested in what you have to say. Yeah, sure. Well, I think that I, I do believe that U.S. squash has done a very good job, especially at the bigger tournaments, nationals, JCTs. There's always um, professional referees on hand to step in when you have that rare situation of a couple of kids who aren't up for a real tough match or potentially, uh, you know, opponents were who could sit or a matchup that could get testy. So I, I think, I think us wash is, is, is doing a good job. I think that the, um, maintaining your certification, uh, with, you know, proficiency test is important as well. You know, I mean, perhaps, um, you know, some mandatory clinics sometimes might, might make it a little bit better. I, I, I think, I think that, you know, I mean, thinking about this a lot, you know, and I have a lot of, of, uh, experience and, uh, and, and, and believe me, I, when I, any, any advice I offer is, is, uh, from, a uh, uh, more as a cautionary tale from my own mistakes, things that I regret and, uh, you know, and, and having, you know, at a local tournament, a local gold or silver or bronze where the kids are going to referee, you know, having your kids sometimes get bad calls. Um, you know, it, everybody's learning, learning how to play, learning how to ref. It's a long journey. And, you know, and sadly, you know, I, I was one of those hovering parents sometimes made lots of faces, lots of noise. I mean, I, I did everything wrong. You can imagine, you know, and I, I which I'm really, you know, you know, just want to let you know about. one thing, Peter. You're yeah. not alone. I mean, okay. I think yeah. I think there's a huge <laughs> learning curve as a squash parent as you come in, you know, at eight years old. I mean, some of these parents today, they're not going to make it to U19 if if they keep up. But it's a learning. You can't tell them till they figure it out for themselves how to comport themselves and how to handle a match, how to handle your kid. And uh, yeah, I just think it's 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 hard. As a, especially as a parent, and uh, it's part of that long process of hey, if you're going to be in this, look, you're going to get bad calls. You're going to get a, a tough grade you didn't just think you don't deserve. I mean, it's all life experience, and we have to remember that. You know, we all, you know, I mean, again, I'll speak for myself. Protecting our kids, you know, wanting what's right. You want your kid to win, um, but you know, it's the, the game is bigger than all of us, and uh, yeah, I would, I would. Make, make you know try to make sure that that point is driven um you know the best best as can be that's that's i think important i think it's always going to be very difficult for the juniors to referee each other at that 
you know, at that young age. But one one positive thing that I did see here in the U.S. is that I I noticed that if if the kids are having a tough time refereeing each other, if the juniors, let's say they're under 13 or something, and they're having difficulties giving decisions, I'll see like the the parents kind of chime in and assist. Like if there's not another senior referee around, they'll the, like the parents will kind of chime in and can try to try to help out. Whereas in other countries, I've seen it like the kids would literally be you know harassed by some of the parents, you know. Um, but in terms of like what we can do to make it kind of um, easier on the kids, I know there's um, yeah like there's there's probably uh, something in the works with U.S. Squash in terms of providing more online content on the U.S. Squash website um being in the form of um you know online clinics that you know referees give um and uh, you know just just having the kids you know sit and listen to the the clinic for a certain amount of time um and 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 just go through that whole uh, process so that's awesome yeah so i get a couple of things to say here um i think that kids and i'm i'm mostly talking kids here cuz i think there is a difference between juniors and then like adult club leagues and then professional there there's sort of three different pockets of that um and um and then there's this like weird hybrid the csa the college squash association is is sort of a little bit of a safe space in there um because they're at that that those kids are at that intersection of like I'm not at playing for junior squash anymore but I'm not playing adult leagues I'm I'm in this like safe space of college squash which is wildly competitive and super exciting and all of that stuff but but going back to juniors um I love how many kids are playing and I love how many people are invested but I think that the system could take a massive step forward this is impossible by the way but a massive step forward by losing all the spectators. I think our kids do an amazing job um, playing and and refereeing themselves on their own. They get tripped up when the environment is a little tense. I think the coaches in this country are doing a really great job of teaching our kids right and wrong on the squash court, let's strokes, no let's, you know, basically. The kids get into this this environment, this intensely competitive environment with parents who've invested a load. Um, and all of a sudden, it's like it's like there's too much spice in the stew. There's something's going to go wrong. And um, and that it doesn't happen all the time, but sometimes it does happen. And that's when and I've been in that situation where. I've been refereeing and I feel like there's just way too many like external forces and pressures and I screw up and, um, and, and I'm aware of it. I know it. I don't feel great about it when it happens, but I think that's what happens to our kids sometimes is that they are, um, I think left to their own devices. They probably can perform really superbly on a match um, they want to be good. They don't want to be bad. You know, maybe you don't want to put, you know. And that's just uh, going to be natural for them as well, because they like they're not trained to deal with that kind of pressure as well. Right. Like unlike, you know, the, the level where you've reached that, where you're you know, you've gone through a certain amount of training to get you where you are to be able to deal with that kind of pressure. But the kids, they don't they don't go through that kind of training. An example. Right? That's exactly right. And an example of why it's great to not have why and when it's great to not have spectators 
this summer, I went out to the um, world championships in Chicago and the first day uh, or first two days, the rounds on the back courts upstairs at the university club, it was just the referee, the players and, and the squash TV, like video cameras. There was no room for anybody else up there. And um, it was really nice to not have any external chirping. I didn't have lots of difficult decisions on that first day, but I promise you, I was, I, I was worried that I might, but they, they're just not the kind of stress of an environment that you then face when you, you know, have loads of people around, you know, feeling free to let, let you know what they think your, you know, decisions should have been. So I think that a lack of spectators um, really allows a referee to focus and just do the job at hand. And anybody that you're putting in a situation, you know, has had an, enough experience that they can actually do a match. And frankly, if the players are doing, a, if the players themselves are doing a good job, the referee is just keeping time and calling the score. Right. It gets yeah. tricky when the players are are, you know, trying to um, trying to correct their own shot errors and um, and movement patterns and stuff. And I'm just talking at sort of junior level and, and to a certain extent, some college PSA is different. Um, and that those are the big leagues. And the people that are in the chair for those moments are people that have been trained to deal with that pressure. So yep. I just wanted to just, just add a little bit to that. I, you know, talking about the parents being helpful, I think, as Hope says, I think the parents become more of a detriment. They they really should not even be speak. And look, I, I, I had to learn this myself. They should not ever make any eye contact or have any discussion with these young kids who are trying to trying to rep, which they try to persuade. And it's just, it becomes, I think they're more of the villain or the, you know, the, the trouble part of the puzzle that, uh, you know, I think raises, as you say, the, the pressure and the intensity for these young kids when they have to ref and they're afraid if they make a call against, you know, they'll get more scrutiny and more, pro you know, it's like a vicious cycle. So uh, I think. Yeah, I mean, I remember it as a kid, you know, I remember at junior tournaments, I'd be sitting after a long match, you know, one, I'm exhausted. So I'm not thinking like, all that straight. Sometimes I just lost a massive match where I was up 10, seven in the fifth and I really didn't want to lose, but I ended up losing. So I come off the court and I'm a little, you know, confused, pissed off. I sit down in the chair, my, you know, opponent who had just won, let's say is like all excited, you know, high-fiving his coach and stuff. And now I have to ref a match and, or Mark depending. And yeah, there would be parents like, you know, we'd make a call and then the parents would be like, really, really? And I, it, like, you can't do that to a kid. Like, how many times have you seen that? I see Hope laughing. Like, it's just true. Yeah. Like, there, you, there's it. a kid like there's a 14 year old kid right there. And you have two parents literally yelling at the kid, like, do this or do that. Or like they'll under their breath, like, oh, that's a stroke. Oh, that's a stroke. And it's like, you can't have that. So I, you know, Hope, I definitely hear what you're saying about the no, no spectators. I I love spectators too much because they get, they get me going on court. So I can't say I can't say I'm for no spectators, but I definitely agree. Any type of spectator intrusion to the ref needs to stop, and that just you know gives, that, that, that doesn't players, help anything. 
Right. It gives the players an unfair advantage, basically, because Completely. you have this grown adult, basically. I mean, it, and it's intimidating sometimes to the kids because, you know, they don't, they just don't, you know, at that age, they don't know any better. Right. So they're going to give right. the decision where that they're influenced by or the, the, the decision that they feel pressured to give, basically. Right. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure I'm sure Peter can relate to this, but you know, growing up also, you you begin to bond serious friendships with other squash families. And Bruce, you and I have talked about this, you know, like, well, I'll have to ref one of my best friends. And especially at the younger ages, as I grew up, I became a lot more mature. And by like, you know, U17, U19, I, I didn't, I was just making all the fair decisions, you know, based on what I thought. But yeah, growing up, like, Peter, what what did you think? Like you you had you had kids growing up. If they were roughing their friends, you could you can feel it. Like they they're like they're nervous. It, it it's it's uh it, it's it's a brutal process, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's especially for the young ones. And uh, yeah, like like yeah, you, I mean, I, I like 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 now now you actually see kids give young kids give no lets. Right? Remember in the old days, nobody nobody just wanted nobody. to say no to anybody. You ask for a let, you got it, because nobody wants to say no let, right? And uh, and but I, I I see that changing. Um, I think I think you know, and back to like maybe a, a hybrid of because I'm all, I'm off I'm with you, Miles. I'm all for spectators, but I'm all for the referee being left alone. And I think and and, and I'm absolutely. Sure, and I think I think there's been some evolution in junior squash, which which uh, uh, which I predated. But but like strict code of conduct for parents and say, hey, if you interact, if we hear you're interacting with the referee, you're out of here or, you know, penalize the kid if you have to, to 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 really head that off. That's I think that's like the that's the that's the big problem, I think. Um, yeah, I yeah. think if the kids if the kids are left to it, you know, if you have even if you have 10 year olds refing 10 year olds, it's part of the process. Let them learn how to do it. You know, so let the also, kids learn how to I have I've witnessed so many of those like side comments and and then even after match comments, people rush to find me like, you know, like, you know, I'm bleeding and I need a Band-Aid. They'll like they'll, they'll come and ask me what I thought about this or that. And, you know, my response is often guarded because, you know, I don't want to necessarily give away too much, but what a lot of people who are chirping like that don't realize is how much thought has gone into how much fast thought has gone into that that person's that referee's decision it is very difficult to make difficult decisions the easy ones no problem anybody can do those it is those tough ones and i wish some people would appreciate that there are many ways of looking at one situation and maybe the person is thinking a different way than, than that other person is thinking. Um, and you have to allow somebody to have that thought as, especially if they're going to be consistent about it. So, so to that yeah. point, hope I, I kind of have a funny story. Um, so I was, uh, uh, refereeing at one of the junior events and I was pulled to one of the matches on one of the side courts where the kids were struggling. They were like, I think under 13 or under 11s. And I, by the time I get to the court, I see both kids, they're doing rock, paper, scissors, basically to make a decision. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I stopped them right there. I'm like, whoa, 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 no, let's just hang on one second. 
what do you what do you see going on in the match? So I try to kind of walk them through what they're seeing. Okay, so then you saw that they weren't able to take a swing. Okay, so then what are you going to give? Stroke, right? So kind of, you know, like if there's a senior referee present, then we're able to kind of, um, you know, get those situations under control. Yeah, that makes sense. You may or may not know that I do have a day job. I'm an oral maxillofacial surgeon by day and a podcaster by night. And here's a short PSA from the American Association of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgeons. Are you at risk for oral cancer? I never chew tobacco. I don't drink much. Never smoked a cigarette in my life. You're three times as likely to get oral cancer if you drink or use tobacco. What about HPV? HPV. Isn't that about cervical cancer? What does that have to do with oral cancer? You're 30 times more likely to get oral cancer if you have HPV or the human papillomavirus. HPV? Didn't know that. Learn more about HPV and oral cancer at myoms.org. This message is brought to you by your oral and facial surgeons. So Hope actually gave me a conduct warning one time, maybe twice, but I wasn't being very nice. So I deserved it. Um, but like, did, when did, did those? Oh, I did. I did that one. I, <laughs> I swore. It was during the match with um, Max Velasquez. It was the semis of nationals under 15. And <laughs> I was like so bad. And I remember I like, was thinking about the things that Thierry had told me when I came off the court the game before. And I was just like, wow, I'm not doing anything. Like, I, I can't play the game anymore. This is horrible. And I'm like going back to serve. He's, Max is about to win the match. And uh, I lost like a stupid point off of an unforced error. And it was one of those swears where you're like walking up to the front and you're like, gosh. And then it like comes out way too loud. And you're kind of yeah. like, uh-oh. Oh, here it comes. And you're like, <laughs> you're like... All right, Miles, conduct warning for swearing. And I was like, oh, no. Nice job. So, <laughs> yeah. So besides the point, when does that come out? Um, you know, is it on a case-to-case basis? Is it, uh, are there some players that like, let's say like an under the breath swear doesn't really matter, but then some like when they, you know, when they say it, they deserve one or where, you know, when do a conduct stroke, conduct warning game, when does that come into play? So, I mean, audible obscenity, that to me, that's got to be a conduct stroke. Um, And obviously, you know, depending on the severity, um, you know, it could be get to conduct game, sometimes conduct match. Like if if the obscenity is directed towards the referee, then that's probably a conduct match at that point. Like if it's directed personally towards the referee, then that's I mean, that's that's not acceptable behavior on on a squash court. What if it's directed towards the, the other player? Is that that's a game or uh, not? That's the probably probably something similar, yeah. Under the same, wow, yeah. Hope if, or Peter, have you ever given out a conduct game or strokes? Uh, de- definitely warning to a stroke. Uh, never a game, not yet. <laughs> yeah, I I've not given a conduct stroke, um, and I've given warnings, and um, especially like. I did a junior tournament recently where masks were required and oh, right. I had to, yeah. and uh, it was a most unpleasant experience overall because I was just a mask police instead of an actual referee. Um, and that was, you know, that was hard, but I had to be consistent everywhere and give out these conduct warnings. But what I found myself doing more often, and this is not a PSA event, obviously, but I found myself 
speaking to the players, both players between games so, and often before a match, I said, I just don't want to have to use conduct here, but I will use conduct if that mask is not over your nose. And I'm sorry right, right. that I have to do that. But I, I basically got out ahead of it rather than having to, you know, really follow up on it. It's just like, look, guys, y- you got to do that. Now, this is COVID. This is obviously different. Uh, you, Miles, you have asked about sort of behavior instead of like, you know, technicalities of where the mask drops under yeah. the nose. Um, and um, and one, one thing I also do before every match, and some people like this and some don't, but I simply become human with my with my players. Um, and I say, look, you guys, I'm here to do the best job I can. Um, I, I know you're, you're doing a lot more work than I am, but if you have any um, concerns, any concerns about my decisions, um, let's have a conversation about it. You don't need to raise your voice, but I'm doing the best job I can, and I want to make this the safest and fairest outcome. Um, and I think being human about the experience um, or maybe just being a woman and nobody really wants to chirp at me, you know, it doesn't look right. But, um, I think that has helped me sort of avoid some pretty ugly situations, um, mm. from a conduct standpoint, I'm willing to give it, but, um, I fortunately haven't had to because, um, showing a little bit of humanity, um, and, and requesting humanity out of my players, um, has, has sort of met at the right spot. Yeah, just just to just to uh, basically touch on what you just said. Yeah, I remember you came up to us before the match and you were like, "Guys, listen." You literally what you said. You're like, "Guys, listen. I'm going to do the best job that I can. Um, I'm just the ref. You know, I'm going to make all the calls. And what I, you know, what I, but my final decision is the decision, and that and that's all it is. If you have a problem with it, you know, ask me politely. But that I've never had a ref say that, but it was much easier to connect with you throughout the match when you did that. Um, Tamar, sorry for cutting you off there. What were you going to say? That's okay. Um, and I was just going to say that um, there's certain ways to kind of diffuse those situations rather than, you know, there's referees that might escalate a situation further than it needs to go. But there's certain ways to kind of diffuse and kind of massage the situation in a way where, you know, you kind of explain to the player um, in a respectful way why it is that you gave a decision. And also, um, like if they're yelling or if they're, you know, they're just, you know, um, just acting out towards you, basically, um, you, you know, you can use a consequence before actually taking that consequence unless they have already, you know, committed something that's um, that's not acceptable on the squash court. Uh, you can, you know, kind of say, look, if you if you continue with this behavior, I'm going to have to start using code of conduct. Is that understood? So just the right. language that you use with the players is very important here um, to kind of diffuse those situations. Right on. So the last thing I wanted to touch on was the video review, you know, uh, video referee decision and stuff. I've never once used it. And gosh, do I want to use it sometimes? <laughs> uh, I just haven't gotten to those, those rounds in tournaments yet. But um, what are your thoughts on it? Sort of... Uh, do you think it's a good thing? Do you think it's 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 unnecessary? Do you th- do you think that um, it's good to have the new or I guess it's been a couple of years since they started using it, but the video referee decision thoughts yeah. on those things? I think it's definitely helped uh, our jobs. Um, basically, you know, we're asked to basically give a split second decision on things that happen. Like sometimes, 
there's just so much to look at on the squash court. You know, did the player leave his leg out? Did the player, um, did, was there enough contact on the swing? Was there this, was there that? Like, did they intentionally move into the line? Did they, are they making enough effort to go to the ball? So there's just so many different elements that you have to look at, right? Um, and sometimes, especially in those high pressure situations, when both players have lost their reviews, it's getting, it's really close, like nine on the fifth. I, you know, if it's a, if it's a difficult enough decision, I might go for video referee decision straight away rather than, you know, giving the decision and then, you know, and that's just to give some more time, right? Like that's basically to really because be able I, to understand basically it. because I want to take a look at what really happened. Like if there's anything yeah. that I might've missed, um, or if there's, if they're like, I'm trying to judge whether or not the player could have actually gotten to the ball or not, just things of that nature. It depends on this it, it varying situations, of course. Um, but in terms of, uh, if it's better, I definitely think it's, uh, it's, it's helped us, um, whether it's the player review or the video referee decision, um, uh, you know, because we're, you know, we're human, obviously we're going to make mistakes. Um, so it's definitely helped our cause a lot for sure. I, I like, I like that there's only one up until, you know, 10 all for, you know, for each player, assuming, you know, things go the way they should. But I think if, if you could video review any decision, we would not have continuous play. So I like that there's sort of a limit on it um, and, and checks and balances on it. Um, but from a referee standpoint, it just brings the importance of teamwork front and center because Absolutely. when you when you have that occasion to you know when, when, if they if the player challenges it it goes up to the video review then you turn off your house mic and you're talking to your video and the two of you are having like a very intense um, and very thoughtful conversation about what just happened, which sometimes, I mean, we're doing our best. It doesn't, it doesn't always, you can't make that decision super fast or maybe you made it wrong or a little bit off or something. So I, I, I actually love being the video review person. And I, I, I worship my video review when I'm in the chair. That makes sense. Peter, as a dad of a professional player, and watching these matches, you know, are you happy with, you know, the process of the, the video review? And do you think it makes it fairer for both players? Do you think it eliminates some of the uh, times when, you know, the referee cannot actually visualize or see or maybe was blocked in a you know visual path to see exactly what happened? So when you're watching Olivia and they go to these reviews, what is your thought process? And do you think I'm happy with are you always usually happy with what the final verdict or do you, you know, or you, does that not do it for you sometimes? Well, let me start by saying that I'm not always happy. It's probably always right. I think I'll point to one instance at the tournament of champions match ball, Olivia against Sarah Jane Perry went to the video review, a no let she would have won and made it to the quarterfinals. So we were hoping for that no let call, which unfortunately was called a let, which was probably the right call. But yes, generally, I think the video review and the decision has been great for the game, not just for getting the calls right, which they usually do, not always, but it makes it more entertaining for the fans, the drama leading up to the decision, you know, the commentary with Joey and PJ, who can often be hard on the refs, putting the interference or the ball placement into context 
is better for everybody. So I think it's uh, immensely beneficial for getting the calls right and making the product better. So it, uh, there's also the huge component is for like the fans to understand the process of the call, to learn the, the game and interference better. Um, so I'm, I'm all for it. You know, the, the, it, it's, it's, it's a tough, I'll tell you something, sitting, sitting in the stands, trying to referee interference when you really can't see where that ball is taking that second bounce. Right. And then you get that overhead view. I mean, I, I don't know. Sometimes I don't know how they can make any calls without it, without that overhead view on, on. So I'm, I'm all for it. I think it's entertaining. I, I like the, the banter uh, between the uh, the commentators waiting for the call, and you got a much better chance of getting it right, especially a, a difficult call worthy of appeal or uh, uh, or uh, straight to the uh, video referee. So yeah, I think it also provides uh, an element of suspense with you know. Um, 100%. You know I love that part. Like I the, really the, do. everyone just sitting there w- waiting, yep. waiting. Yep. You know, lis- listening to that Pink Panther music, and right. you know the decision. It also gives, it also gives a chance for the player to catch their breath too. You know, in a way, it's, yeah. uh, it, it it gives them a little respite. Yeah, exactly, and that's something that we try to control as much as possible. Like we try not to use it so much that you know it's it's delaying play basically like video referee decisions we try to you know keep that kind of to a minimum as much as we can um but you know it should be used when when needed as well i I would even say it makes watching online squash like a squash tv so much fun because like uh tamar said and uh peter was agreeing to it's literally like a suspense moment you know especially when it's like freaking 13 12 in the fifth match ball and they just went video referee decision and you're sitting there with your buddies like on the tv screen like oh my gosh like what is it going to come out to and it's a no let and everybody goes crazy but yeah the suspense is sweet so what uh, what does our panel feel about possibly you know you know i think the referee you know has almost not a negative connotation, but it's almost like a, a no win situation for the referee. Obviously, you know, you can make a hundred, you know, great calls and be on it. And then all of a sudden the fifth game, there's a question we'll call you weren't sure. And, and then it gets all, you know, out of a little bit out of hand. So I'm thinking I liked, you know, and I, I threw it out to you guys earlier about the court official rather than, you know, a referee. And, um, in terms of maybe, you know, it would take time, you know, years to change the thinking and become a, an, you know, an official rather than using the, the term referee. So what do you guys think about that? I just think, you know, when it came to, you know, thinking about this episode, I mean, you guys are really like the unsung heroes and, uh, and you're the glue that keeps, you know, the sport together. And so I'm wondering can we possibly change change the uh, the name to an, like an official rather than a referee? Is that possible, Tamar? Uh, you know, it's funny because uh, I don't know if you remember Hope, but we were on a call with John Nimick one time, and he asked us, "What do you? Um, what's the difference between umpire and referee?" You remember that, Hope? I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he, ba- and, uh, you know, none of us really knew the answer to it. And he basically told us the difference between a referee and an umpire is that a referee 
is one that's not stationary, basically. And a, an umpire is stationary. So an, an umpire is basically like in baseball or in tennis, whereas a referee is like in basketball um, and, um, hockey, and soccer, yes, hockey, soccer. Yeah, those are referees. So he questioned why it is that we're actually called referees and not umpires. And uh, I guess, you know, historically, that's just how we were we were named, you know, with the sport. Um, but to your point, uh, in terms of, you know, changing our names to officials. Or, or uh, actually, I, I actually like an umpire because it's your, you know, I just think referee has this. I don't know. It has I a guess, stigma, sort of yeah. a stigma towards it, um, and and uh, maybe um, because of the 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 you know the historical thought process behind what a referee is, you know, referees may oh, a referee just made a bad call or whatever. Um, so maybe uh, you know the use of the word official is probably you know maybe seen as more respected or whatever. Um, but well, I, yeah, look at it. it's, I get your it's point, you, yeah. it, and it's usually not a bad call. It's just not satisfying the other player and the team of the other player. I mean, it's not, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's yeah. probably not a bad call. It's just, someone's going to be not happy. And um, so it's like, again, you can't, you guys can't win. And I guess it's, it's very hard. And I have so much and the utmost respect for you. And even more tonight to listen to you guys, because it's not easy. And um, I think the impetus behind this episode is trying to find ways to make it better for the players, the refs, and just everyone who's involved. So uh, this is all just like food for thought and right. um, trying to improve a sport that, you know, we're all passionate about, for sure. Right. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So I also, I agree that, uh, you know, what we're after here is to, you know, improve this but a lot of refereeing or officiating or however you want to call it is actually pretty good and pretty straightforward and pretty simple um you know we we get we get tripped up when uh there's very difficult decisions and there's a lot of pressure around the environment and that decision but you know, let's remember that um, a lot of the decision, a lot of good decision making is happening regularly in squash games. So I have two more questions and Miles could. And if, and if you have a question for, you know, some of the panel, you guys are more than welcome to address a question. But um, so I'm going to give this to Peter. Peter, what's the most difficult situation you've had a as a referee? Like, what was the situation and you felt like it was like a little pressure cooker. And um, so I want you to tell us about that. If you have one that uh, sticks out in your mind. I, I don't I don't recall any call that, you know, I mean, not, not that I may make every right call. I mean, there's definitely situations when, you know, it's a it's a close game. And, and now your call might actually affect the outcome. Right. The you know, instead of a great shot or so. I always remember early on when I, you know, when I first started playing and I wanted to referee, like I, I, I would be at a tournament and I'd ask to referee a tough match and I refereed a match. I, I, I know hope will know these days. Well, everybody will, should remember Ned Edwards uh, was playing Soli Meta. I hope you remember Soli. Oh yeah. Yeah. And they were playing in like a, a tournament at uh, 86th street 
and I was refereeing the final, right? And I, I, I honestly, I, I can't even remember the, all, all I remember was me saying, I, I, I thought the ball was good or the ball was not good. And I think Beth Raisin came up in my ear and said, no, you saw it good or you saw it down. You don't think anything, right? And I was, I, I, I was never so happy for a match to end, right? So I, I, uh, I would say, you know, that feeling, but, you know, and I, and I, haven't, I haven't done big matches like Hope and Tamar have. So in nothing that decided, you know, a 5-4 match, you know, in the Ivies or anything yet. So um, I, I, I uh, n- n- none, none that I can really, you know, come up with. I mean, I, ma- I made some tough calls. I got some looks and some comments from some kids who I've known since they were 10 that I never expected to hear. But uh, yeah. but aside from that, uh, um, n- nothing I couldn't handle. All right. I think Hope and uh, Tamar are chomping at the bit. So I'm going to go Hope first here on this one. Gosh. I have a uh, probably I can count really tough matches on one hand and uh, they have entirely circled around the technology around the iPad and player review, which um, early in my uh, elevated refereeing career um, got me in like in just a trip up Um dealing with the player review and and then getting my decision getting overturned and you have to hit the buttons on the pad. And I didn't have enough experience on the pad at the time a few years ago to make that go really smoothly. And so, um, you know, the, there was a decision at the men's world team championships in Washington, DC a couple of years ago, that was really intense because it was an intense and high level and long match that maybe shouldn't have gone as long, but I ended up with some iPad issues um, my decisions were fine, but the player review ended up getting me tripped up. Um, and that was, that never makes you feel good when, when that stuff goes wrong. And then there was another match. Um, I was doing a junior, I think it was a JCT and, um, it was a boys 19 match and, um, it was super intense. I didn't realize the stakes. I, I'm guess i'm sort of glad that i didn't realize the stakes of that particular um match but, i could probably guess the kids you well know, like. you you couldn't guess the kids because they did the best job they could and they were great kids i was um completely put off by the match management and the environment I, it was my home turf it was harvard i felt comfortable in the mer and um yet and the gallery was packed and yet um and I did my best job with decisions, but it got very intense and I didn't, uh, I was feeling really negative energy from some people and, that I know well, and it tripped me up. And so I, um, and the players were were awesome. They did the best job they could. Um, again, it was earl- much earlier in my refereeing career, and I'm not sure I was outclassed for that match particularly, but the environment is what made me, sort of somewhat panic and that's what made it a tricky match. Um, and, um, I didn't have my parents leaning over me. I didn't have my teammates leaning over me, but the environment can really, um, set a person, uh, to a different, a different relaxation or tense level. Um, and so those two matches probably were, um, were the, the highlight of my darkness. Hammer. Um, 
So for me, I uh, I remember one match in particular a number of years ago at uh, um, Williams uh, College up in Massachusetts. They they were holding they held a PSA event that year. Um, I think it was I want to say the semifinals maybe, um, and it was very close match. I think it was a two all and maybe ten nine match ball. Oh, okay, no no, it was nine all in the fifth game. And then the player, um, he ends up, he loses the point, and then he says an audible obscenity that everyone hears. So now I have to, I have to do something, right? So I end up, so that, so that put the other player at ten nine match ball, and then I call conduct stroke because of the audible no obscenity. No way. Yeah, which ended, which ended the match, and I, I sat there <laughs> for, I sat there for a little bit, and I thought about it, what I'm about to do, right? Because it was, it, I knew it was a huge decision, right? Very tight match, a uh, lot of pressure. Um, there hadn't really been much until that point, but like at that point, like he's he said an audible obscenity that everyone heard. So at that point, I I had no other choice. Well, I think you you did the right thing. I mean, there's you can't change what the rules are, even yeah. in the heat of the like when and that was the heat of the moment and. Uh, in yeah. retrospect, you probably feel like you made the right decision. It yeah, was very hard I, at the time, but uh, I know I made the right call. But uh, you know, in your mind, you keep second guessing yourself, right? Like, oh, should I do this? Should I not do this? Um, you know, like because as, as a referee, you're like you don't want to end a match on a decision, basically, or you 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 try as much as possible, you know, not, at least not to end the match on a bad call. <laughs> <laughs> See that, yeah, that's where I would be. That's where yeah. I'd be scared. Yeah. So, so this last topic is, and you know, I know um, Tamron and Hope may not, and even you know the 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 youngster in the in the panel, uh, Mr. Blatchford, uh, who's going to eventually be sitting at uh, you know Grand Central Station with the you know having the job of refereeing a, a big match, because I know Peter will take all the courses and do what he what needs to do to get to that position because uh, he's deserving of it. And I think he's going to work hard to get there. But um, there's like sort of a new wave. I mean, we all know Mustafa Sal and I, and I don't want, you know, any, I know it's hard to make comments when you actually will maybe ref him in two weeks from now, but he's like a new, he's emerging on the scene as being sort of brash. And um, so like, before the match starts, if you're refing that type of player, do you do you go up and like when do you have like a little pre-match little talk with both of them, or so you could try to like and as Hope told us earlier, try to diffuse things before you know it elevates. So, Tamara, how do you how do you handle that when you're you know you know that there's things going on, you've seen performances by a a player in earlier tournaments or whatever. And now you're mm. going to ref this person. Right. So how do you handle with something like that? Um, it, it really depends, but I've, I've had situations where um, I've, I've had it, you know, I've had to referee a difficult player or a player that has a reputation for doing certain things on court. Um, and, you know, given, you know, the player's history before that, I, sometimes I might have a word with the player before the match and just kind of give my expectations on what I expect to see. You know, I expect, you know, uh, if there's an opportunity to go play the ball, I expect you to play it. 
Uh, if there's not that much interference, I'm not going to be giving any, you know, easy lets or things of that nature. Um, I want you to, you know, make every effort to play the ball and to clear the path for your opponent. Um, just a general conversation in terms of expectations of what I want to see on the match or what I, you know, I would like to see. Um, and also, um, so I did have, a, you know, one of those matches recently where, uh, and it was, um, uh, you know, it was broadcast on Squash TV and whatnot. So before the match, uh, you know, I had a little short meeting with the video referee, um, just kind of going through different scenarios of what might happen throughout the match and uh, how we're going to deal with those situations, right? Um, so it depends on the player, really. Um, so, but... Yeah, I do have some kind of some like most of the time I would have some kind of a game plan before I go into a match like that. That's always about preparation, right? I mean, if you yeah. understand what you and the different scenarios that might evolve that, uh, you know, you, you think about it beforehand, obviously, and yeah. uh, you share your, you know, your feelings with the player or players and just uh, trying to make it so it's it doesn't get out of hand. So what I would say is the the benefit to my not having been around as long is that I don't really come in with pre-existing condition um, either way. You know, the I'm becoming more familiar to the top players. Um, and, you know, that, that I think has been helpful because it's not like a really unfamiliar face. Um, but I try and, um, as I said, I just try and bring a little humanity and, um, and clarity, a couple of things they're, they're, they can be sure of is that they're going to be able to hear me, um, you know, and, and that's important because, you know, the house needs to be able to hear what's going on, what the referee, you know, what the referee decides on a certain situation. Um, so, and, and also I'm going to give them my utmost focus um, for, you know, for the duration of the match. Um, so I guess I feel like, you know, I haven't, I don't have the history that Tam has with all these players. Um, and that's good and bad. Uh, at some point it's going to shift for me and I'm going to have much more experience and, and possibly probably some less favorable experiences. But I also know that when I go through these, every match I go through, I know that I have a team behind me, even if the team isn't part of my video or whatever, I've got a whole bunch of guys that are looking to talk about my decisions and my matches all the time. It's like, it's, it's really amazing. It's a great community. Yeah. hundred percent. So my last question is for the three of you. So, um, I guess, you know, since I've been around the sport, um, for the last, I don't know, say 13, 14 years, um, you know, I've known the, uh, sort of the, the, the big guns in the referee world, you know, John Massarella and Mike Riley. So what have you guys sort of learned from them? Because they've, they've, they've been to every situation that you could imagine. And, uh, so what have you learned from both of them that you sort of incorporate into your style or, um, the way you approach, you know, refing, you know, a match. And I'll start with, um, I know, Peter, you haven't been around as long as, you know, Hope and Tamar, but uh, you know that you know those guys and you've listened to them and you've watched the way they control matches and the way they handle things. And I think at this point, they're sort of, you know, 
I don't even use the word legends, but they're, they've been established. And, uh, you know, I think on the whole part, they're actually very well respected until they, they give a call that may be unfavorable to a, a bunch <laughs> of people. But uh, so what, have you, what do you think of their styles? And since they're sitting sort of at the top of the uh, so-called pyramid in, in refereeing. Obviously, they're, you know, the most experienced referees and, and probably and very confident and the most consistent. Um, sometimes I, I, uh, there's a little bit of personality, uh, uh, you know, uh, put into it, which sometimes I guess is necessary. You know, sometimes I, I, I think the best, the best, you know, if, if somebody doesn't remember who the referee was that that's did a good a job. Great ref, right? Yeah, right. Definitely. And, uh, yeah. so, so some, but, but I, you know, but I, I also recognize that, that, you know, it's testy and there's interaction, you know, and, and you got to hold your ground too. So, so, uh, but, uh, you know, sometimes the personality and the, the, the diet, you know, the dialogue, is you know remember I have a player right I don't like exactly my you know, I, mean, you I don't have like to be, my player exactly to, right? right exactly so, so, so. And <laughs> but they're but they're but they're great refs so Tamar I think um, uh, Peter touched on a very important point there and that's um, kind of uh, developing that certain level of confidence in yourself and in your decision making. Uh, and not kind of not dwelling back on, oh, did I get this decision right? Did I get that decision right? Like just putting all that behind you and just focusing on what's coming. Right. And I kind of learned that from, you know, both John and Mike, you know, just be yourself on the match um, and and just, you know, have that because the players can sense if a, if a referee is confident in their abilities or not. Um, and if 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 a referee sometimes would show that little bit of hesitation, they might kind of try to exploit that. So it's very important for a referee to kind of show the players that they are confident in their own abilities to officiate the match. I think Peter made a great point about continuity. I think, and um, I think that's really important. Continuity, knowing that, you know, the referee is going to come out there and it's going to give a consistent, you know, performance on a on a daily basis in every match that they do, and the players will gain confidence in the ref, and the uh, ref will gain constant confidence in himself or herself, you know. Um, so that that's so important, right? When you show a sign of weakness in any you know vocation, it's trouble, and yeah, um, especially as a ref, and these players are savvy. They're going to pick up on this and, you know, it's going to make it harder for the, you know, the one who's trying to keep it all together as the, as the match progresses. Yeah. So I feel as if uh, John and Mike have been incredible mentors in, in so many ways. Um, the thing that stands out to me is the advice that both of them have given is to trust your instinct. Um, and, you know, they, they, they both know that, you know, I have pretty good court instinct and, and they, they really have urged me to trust my instinct, but also John has been almost like a squash psychologist because 
while you know he admits he's not an A-level player, he's a he's a passionate C-level player, he has really opened my eyes to the um, perspectives of players, of the, of the spectating group, of um, everybody involved and what they might be angling for and why, why being human is so important when you are in the referee chair. You know, you don't have to be square and harsh. You don't have to be a noodle. You have to be human and appreciate where, where other involved parties are coming from. Um, that sounds a little mushy, but John really, when you debrief a match with John, he'll talk you through your decisions. And then you realize that there was, there was sort of a mental game going on at a certain point, And this is what, this is what came of it um, and how you handled it well or how you didn't. And so John's sort of, very human approach. And, I, and I'm going to put John at the top because um, he also has just age and experience in there um, that, um, and I know Mike so well as a friend and John is a new friend to me. Um, and because of, you know, through refereeing and because of that, um, you know, I just, I have such incredible admiration and gratitude because you know, their confidence has, has spilled over to me and made me want to do more with them. That's great. First of all, I'd like to thank the entire group here tonight for really just shedding so much thought and light on, on it's a, It's difficult. I think the relationship between the ref, the player, the coach, the parents, it's not easy. And, uh, you know, I have the utmost respect and I think Miles does as well. And just really so appreciative. I think we shed, you know, you told stories. You, you I think you're going to shed a lot of light on to a subject that uh, really is, uh, you know, kept sort of in the dark and really not a lot of people discuss it. So um, I think after listening to this, I think people are going to like, you know, something I want to join that club or I want to, you know, be a part of that. And I think, that's what we want. We need, we're going to need more quality referees. We're going to need more, you know, a lot to really grow the sport properly. And this is a big part of the puzzle. So I want to thank you guys from like really the bottom of my heart. It was so nice of you to spend the time. And uh, I, I know, Miles, would you like to say anything else before we conclude? Absolutely. No, thank you guys. Seriously. Uh, Tamara, you know, we've never met. Uh, it was wonderful meeting you. You 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 uh, added some incredible insight. Um, Great meeting you as and well. Hope I've known you for so long. I, I mean, probably since I was like, I don't even know when we first met, but one of the silver tournaments at the U Club or at the Harvard Club, something like that. And Mr. Blatchford or Peter, I've been referring to you as Peter, but I knew you as Mr. Blatchford before. Um, it was just awesome talking to you guys. I'm super excited to hear the. Um, the finished product and um yeah thank you for answering all the questions that we had and just having an awesome discussion so i just want to say one other thing about peter like i've known peter as as well as miles forever and every time that i would see peter at a tournament i just love to pick his brain because he's been around and he's the experience he's had the three kids playing i mean you know ian was uh, like you know he was tough early on as, as well as Morgan, you know, so it's, but I think 
you know, Ian was chopping Morgan, chopping. And like, I just love to just pick Peter's brain. He was always so gracious. And uh, I know he's not, you know, a level four, level five referee, but his experience and what he's done with the three kids is just remarkable. So Peter, I just wanted to thank you. I know this is like a little tough spot today. It was, you know, there's topics that, you know, you have to be careful because your daughter, Olivia's on the pro tour and, and killing it. And uh, so I just wanted to just acknowledge that, Peter. I've learned so much from you over the years. And uh, I always, you know, I'm happy. I love to just pick your brain and just get your opinion on stuff. So thank you. I want to thank James, our producer, for once again, just putting this stuff all together for us. And uh, Hope, did you have one last thing to say? Yeah, I do have one thing to say. I want to I, I want to ta- trail on your thoughts about Peter. So I know you've known Peter for a long time, but I've actually known Peter longer. Um, <laughs> and, and it's not because I'm older, because you are older than me. But um, when I got out of college, um, right out of college in the early 90s, 90, 1990, in fact, um, Peter and I would see each other at tournaments. Um, and that was almost before you were born, Bruce. But um, Peter and our, you know, we were in this sort of group of young people playing wait, wait, adult so tournaments. Do you know how old I am, Hope? I know. Um, I'm, I'm going to be but, 61, Hope. I'm not a baby. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, Peter and I would see each other at these tournaments. And that was before either of us had families or children or anything. And, you know, and, and one of the things that I think is just so amazing about this sport is the layering of these friendships The five of us tonight are entirely not what I would have ever imagined putting together. And yet here we are. And what I say is, you know, raise the proverbial glass to squash to a lifelong friendship with all of you um, on and off the court. Um, This is the best community in the world, um, period. And um, I feel very lucky. I mean, I agree with you. So I am so on that with you, Hope. I mean, this is why we have a podcast. We want the people out there who are interested in squash to have information like this. There's so limited amount of information for people all over the country, all over the world. And this is why, and giving back to a sport that's been amazing to all our families. And uh, so- Again, you know, I get, I can get very sentimental or whatever about it, but um, I so enjoyed this, and um, thank you again. Yeah, guys, thank you, really. You know, I, I look up to all of you in, in different ways, and, you know, Peter, I competed against your son growing up, and uh, Hope, you've you've reffed me as we talked about. Tamara, I've seen you up in the stands year after year, and uh, I'm, I'm just really happy that you guys made it on tonight. It was wonderful talking to you all. Thanks, uh, Bruce and Miles, uh, for hosting us. We really appreciate you guys uh, making effort to get the referee's perspective out there. Absolutely. Thank you, Tamer. Yeah. Hey, guys, this was terrific. Uh, really uh, a privilege to, to get on with you guys. Um, Tamer and Hope, a huge respect for your, uh, your efforts in the chair. And uh, uh, Bruce and Miles, you guys are naturals at this. This is uh, <laughs> it took us a lot of time. Yeah, ultra professional. Oh, well, thank you. Well, guys, it was really great to be in this format with you all. I cherish each of my relationships with you all. All very different relationships, and um, but I look forward to many years ahead, and um, hope I can continue to do some good matches um, and make you proud. 
Absolutely. Thank you, Hope. Yeah. Thank you, all three of you. It's just been a lot of fun. So thanks again. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you, guys. All right, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to The Two Dot Chronicles, hosted by Bruce Huberman and Miles McIntyre as themselves. The show is produced and engineered by me, James Spavelko. Theme song and incidental music created by Spavelko Music Services. Have a question, suggestion, or just want to say hello? Drop us a message at 908-977-6481 or send us an email at two.media at gmail.com. That's T-W-O-D-O-T-M-E-D-I-A. It may be featured in a future episode. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. While you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to The Two Dot Chronicles. We upload a new episode every month. Look for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you find your podcasts. 